Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Building Better SaaS podcast. My name is David Abramson. I'm the Chief Technology Officer here at Curve. And uh, Curve, we are a provider of embedded analytics technologies for SaaS application providers and software companies. And on the podcast today, I am very pleased to welcome my, my guest, Jonathan Crawford. Jonathan is the Chief Architect at Least Accelerator. And I'm going to go ahead and let uh, Jonathan introduce himself and tell us a little bit more about his role uh, over there at, at Least Accelerator. So take it away. Thanks, David. Um, yeah, I, I'm sometimes jokingly referred to as the co-founder. I'm, I'm employee number two. So go back about 23 years with the company in one way or another. Uh, my, my background is kind of a strange mix. I, I fell into luck right out of college working with Tom McCabe three and a half years father of psychological complexity and taught me a lot about software architecture. Uh, since then, I've, I've worked for companies like Bank Tech and Lockheed, uh, and now, of course, Lease Accelerator, generally dealing with uh, what for a while was being referred to as big data problems. Uh, Bank Tech was check images that the Social Security used uh, for fraud detection. Lockheed was the, the NASA mission to planet Earth imagery. And with Lease Accelerator, we're doing lease accounting. So asset level debits and credits, we've got about 9 billion journal entries under management. And it's all SaaS in the cloud, has been since before they called it SaaS, and um, almost before they called it the cloud. Oh. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, thanks for that that intro. It's it's great to hear sort of the trajectory that people go, you know, go through to get to where they are today. Certainly with all of the changes and developments and technologies. Um, and so kind of the two... The two core main topic areas I wanted to touch on for today's podcast, I think are very much both related to your role and what you've been doing as chief architect, at least accelerator. So the first will just be sort of really focusing on the, kind of the cloud in general and how you guys are leveraging uh, cloud architecture technology uh, to sort of drive your business and, and, and move your products forward. And then, you know, given your background in, in sort of the data and the, the data architectures, we'd love to sort of dive into kind of your take on, you know, how how SaaS companies, including yourselves, are, are able to leverage databases more effectively. Um, and so maybe I'll just kind of start giving you a little bit of take on where, where I see sort of uh, our SaaS customers that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis leveraging cloud and cloud infrastructure. Um, as you may or may not be aware, so all of Curve's customers are, are sort of all in on, on public cloud infrastructure. Most of our customers leverage AWS, although um, pretty much any public cloud is, is also in play. So we, we do have folks in, in GCP and Azure uh, environments as well as others. Um, and certainly if the company's been around um, longer, um, there was probably a point where they weren't leveraging public cloud infrastructure. So there was a journey to decide at some point to to go all in on something like AWS or GCP or others. Um, but I think lately there's been a push to kind of rethink how SaaS solutions are being architected for the cloud. So is it you know one cloud, multi-cloud? Are there other options out there? So I'd love to hear maybe your take on not only sort of what your journey was, what Least Accelerator's journey was to get where you are today, but also where you guys are, are sort of thinking about heading when it comes to, to cloud infrastructure, cloud architectures as well. Sure. Uh, like I say, we've been cloud since before they called it cloud. 
I remember back in, in, I think it was 2003, we had a set of Dell, uh, which you would now call desktop towers, uh, sitting on a shelf in Montreal. And that was basically the cloud for us. Uh, clients logged in remotely over the internet and that's where the software was. Uh, for a couple of years while we were in transition to the, the States, it was actually living in my basement for a while. Uh, we, we went through a dedicated hosting provider. Uh, so we we had a couple of racks of equipment. Uh, but that, of course, requires not just the network administration and software administration and everything else, but you also need somebody that's going in to, to deal with hardware. If a disk goes bad, somebody's got to physically go in and swap the hard drive. Uh, we looked at the skill set that we were focused on, where we wanted to stay focused, and we wanted to be experts in our software. Nobody needs to be dealing with hardware and, and ideally not as much networking. So uh, we shifted to AWS at that point. That was, I think, about eight, maybe 10 years ago. Um, and so we moved everything into the cloud. Uh, we went whole hog. So we literally divested ourselves of pretty much all of the hardware. Uh, and we've been in AWS ever since. Over the last few years, as we've gone through hypergrowth, we went through a couple of years of hypergrowth uh, around 2018, 2019. Uh, we learned that AWS can get very expensive. Uh, if you're making heavy use of resources, particularly database, that price tag goes up and up and up. And one of the problems we've discovered with AWS is particularly we use Oracle, where we're very much an Oracle shop from a database perspective. Uh, with Oracle, you can't give space back. Once you allocate space, if you want to give it back, you have to stand up a separate database, move all the data across, and drop the original. That can be a little expensive and can certainly be time consuming. And it's a lot of overhead you really don't want to have to deal with just because month end processing, which we're an accounting solution, we get a lot of processing at month end. You get a spike in use of storage because there's a lot of processing that goes on. So your archive log spike, your undo spikes, all that kind of thing. Um, so we started exploring how can we reduce some of that database cost and can we pick up any benefits in the process? Uh, we explored moving to Aurora and while it was possible, I will tell you that there are subtle differences in SQL to SQL that just, it's like cow drops on the, the development highway. Uh, you know, Oracle SQL is zero, excuse me, is one based under collections. Postgres SQL is zero based. That's a subtle nuance. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that's just asking for bugs when you've got a team of, of Oracle developers and you suddenly ask them to switch to Postgres. So we got contacted by a, a company that one of our executives was involved with that had successfully gone to a multi-cloud solution where they've got some of the, the operations in AWS and some of the Oracle cloud. And we thought, that, that sounds like something we want to try out. So they've successfully worked with the, the hybrid cloud. What they recommended was a company called Megaport does a dedicated pipe. Uh, basically, it's a software interconnect between AWS and OCI. Mm -hmm. And provides you with committed, guaranteed bandwidth, near zero latency. Uh, there's a little bit of a cost. But we re-engaged with Oracle. We, we've been working closely with Oracle for many years. They've tried three times to get us onto Oracle Cloud, and they've finally been successful. Uh, we were not thrilled with some of the uh, infrastructure tools in terms of provisioning VMs and maintaining them and that type of thing. AWS has an awful lot of very powerful tools and 
provisioning. Uh, so the first couple of times we, we decided to hold off on OCI. Uh, but this time when we took a look, it was like, you know what, there's, there's some real compelling economic opportunities, but there's also some opportunities that are going to help our customers. And at the end of the day, you'd like to make sure that any change you make is ideally a credence to the customers. They get a better experience, not just the same experience, but it's cheaper for you. That's great. Everybody loves cost savings, but you'd like to have something that helps the customer. Uh, with OCI, we get OS level access. We get SIS and SysDBA. You don't get any of that with AWS. So we have a lot more control and some fine grained control. We're also discovering a lot of things we can do with OCI that are much easier than what we were doing in AWS. There are ways to do them in AWS, but the price tag goes up again significantly. So it, it's been really powerful. I mean, it's been an interesting journey now, migrating everything incrementally from AWS to OCI, but just the databases. Yeah. So it sounds like at the at first at the first part, the the main driver was your sort of overall costs. But as, as you sort of made that migration journey, it seems like you found a lot of these other advantages that can help as you get a little bit more specialized with, you know, particularly with Oracle in, in this, in this instance, I'm kind of curious, um, when you, when you thought about moving, like migrating from one database technology to the other, um, you said kind of there, the learning curve was potentially problematic, but then also refactoring a bunch of stuff. Um, were there other were there other challenges that you that you maybe looked at with with migrating from one database technology to the other since you had spent so much time you know investing in Oracle already? Yeah, so we're a little bit unusual in that because we are accounting, it's not just big data; it's big data that requires full asset. Yeah. So you you have to have that atomicity, consistency, integrity, and it, it, that all the, all the stuff that led folks to RDBMS in the first place. We have that, but we have that at big data scale. So there are solutions like Snowflake that's an incredibly powerful database, but when you put it in acid mode, the performance changes dramatically. The profile is very different. They're, they're intended to allow for a certain amount of lossiness uh, because if you're in big data, you really don't care. You'll find accountants really care. Um, <laughs> if it changes by a penny, they want to know why. So uh, you really don't have that same flexibility. So we were focused on large scale acid databases, which that's a pretty short list, honestly. Um, when you look at performance, really what we saw was that Aurora, you can throw resources at it and scale it to such a, a level that it can compete with Oracle in terms of performance. But that's where the differences in the language, the little subtle nuances, honestly, it's not learning curve, it's rehabituation. You know, the developers are smart, they're going to figure that out really quickly but you still have habits. You still have when that subconscious kicks in and codes up the, the statement of the store procedure for you, because you've done this 15 times, you know, before you code it the same way, but it behaves just a little bit differently. And so that's, that's where I tend to be a little cautious when you're going to a really similar technology. If it's too similar, it can almost be more dangerous because there's not enough to jar you out of the habits. That's actually a really interesting point. I think, you know, we hear from a lot of our customers about um, making technology decisions because they're making, they're, you know, we're, we're talking to folks that are in a process of making a technology decision, whether it's to 
you know, typically build a set of components themselves or to work with, you know, third party service off the shelf and those types of things. I'm just kind of curious. So you, you talked about sort of the, you know, a little bit of that transition curve. Can, can you describe maybe a little bit of the overall timeline for what it took to kind of get to multi-cloud as well? I mean, was it something that was, um, you know, was this, was this a short-term effort? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it was a long-term effort by that reaction, but maybe kind of describe what you guys had to go through for, to get there. It's funny because I, I think all told is going to wind up being eight months, maybe nine month project. Uh, but uh, you know, I, we lost two months of it to contracting. Um, that's, that's what I'm chuckling about is, is, you know, when you're dealing with a company the size of Oracle, nothing is easy. And uh, you, you get the lawyers on both sides negotiating a contract of that size and, and you lose a month or two on the schedule. So bake that in, <laughs> you know, plan accordingly. Once we got everything, you know, uh, all, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, it's been a matter of execution. We had, we had a pretty good plan and it's been incremental. So, um, you know, you start with a sub-production environment you can afford to lose. Uh, that becomes your, your guinea pig and you, you shake out all the issues there and then you move your way through the sub-production environments till you start dealing with things like your, uh, your QA environments. And, uh, maybe you've got a, a sandbox environment for clients. That was the first thing we moved over. Uh, we, we were able to set our schedule so that we move the sandbox over. So, so we're again, financial application, the key standard we have to, to adhere to from a compliance perspective is SOC 2. Yep. We go through SOC 1 and SOC 2 audits, I think twice a year now on each. Uh, but basically, we wanted to make sure that OCI was going to be covered under our SOC report so that our clients would have no exposure window where they're dealing with a long bridge letter or something like that. So we migrated the sandbox environment, which is customer facing, before the end of the first SOC reporting period. So that was covered under that SOC report and then production will move and it's actually coming up in a few weeks here. So uh, it, it gave us a very nice kind of stepping stone approach. Makes sense. Yeah. So now you've got, it sounds like you've got, you've got your sort of application tier, which is still running. It sounds like it's still running in AWS. And then you've got your, your sort of core data tier now running in Oracle or Oracle pop. Um, can you talk, maybe it, maybe we can shift a little bit to thinking more about the database at this point. So can you talk a little bit about, um, that segmentation? So like how much of the work is happening now on the application tier versus the database tier. And I know people have a lot of strong feelings about where, you know, most of the business logic or application logic should reside. So, you know, how has that played out in terms of migrating these sort of different functions to different cloud providers? Yeah, so I'm a little counterculture in this regard, and uh, it, it's a it's a fun battle from time to time, particularly when a new executive comes in with a different uh, perspective. Uh, the traditional belief has always been that that business logic should always be in the middle tier, and yeah, you know, that way you're you're decoupled from the data model, you're operating on the logical data model, not the physical data model. You're decoupled from the user experience, so the user experience can be reworked easily, but the business logic lives in the middle tier. That's great. And as long as you understand why you're doing that, that can make perfect sense. But I've worked in enough big data situations that I can also tell you the more data you're flinging around and manipulating, the more you better be sensitive to performance. And when I'm calculating asset level amortization on a lease schedule with a thousand assets that's running for 84 months, I'm going to be generating over a million rows of data. I don't want to do that in a for loop and job. 
and I don't want to send a million rows of data over the network to the database. I can do that in a single set-based statement in Oracle. That's what SQL is for. SQL is a set-based language. So I can generate that data right in the database. As a result, our accounting engine is completely coded in SQL. It's flinging around massive amounts of data. So one of the reasons we can get away with the multi-cloud solution so effectively is the data going from AWS to Oracle is largely transaction data. And it's small amounts of data that when it gets into the Oracle database, explodes and balloons into all the accounting data that is then synthesized into reports that are sent back to the user through AWS because of the application. So one of the challenges with a, a multi-cloud solution involving AWS is you always have to be a little sensitive to those egress fees. Yep. Using a company like Megaport helps enormously with, with keeping that under control. But we have the advantage that the, the bulk of our data transfer is going from Oracle into AWS, not vice versa. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, you know, when, you, when you put it that way, kind of thinking about the, the overall architecture strategy um, and then making sure that you're optimizing for what needs to happen on the database tier versus what's happening on the application AWS tier and then sending only what's required really makes a lot of sense because it allows you to, to really maximize the use case for each one of those. So that's actually a really good point. I mean, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in this camp of, you know, you, you put the logic where it's sort of in, in most cases, most testable and, and most debuggable. Um, so sometimes that means put it in the database because it can be, you know, easily tested without redeploying apps changes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then also, um, you know, I, a lot of people always stress that application resources are easier to scale than database resources, which uh, maybe in your experience isn't isn't the case, right? Uh, you know, you could probably argue that now that you've sort of optimized an Oracle Cloud, maybe your your database resources are, resources are just as scalable. Is that is that what you're finding too? Um, we've certainly picked up some benefits. I mean, it, you know, things like the pluggable database model is is really at least for making data portable and transportable. Um, OCI is more responsive in terms of when you're doing scale up, scale down on database servers. OCI is, is a little more predictable. It's about 10 to 15 minutes each time. AWS is generally 10 to 15 minutes, except when it takes two to four hours. That's hard to plan around. <laughs> and so it's uh, it, it's been good. But yeah, definitely Oracle gives us a lot more granular control. And as I say, some of those capabilities with the OS level and the system, SysDBA, we can do a lot of neat things that our, our experts can really wring the, the maximum performance out of the database. So that, that helps a lot. Uh, the other thing I'll mention is that one of the things we do with our software architecture is all of the SQL is encapsulated as procedures. Mm. So I am a huge believer in, if you go language agnostic for a moment, you still want objects. You still want methods. I don't care what language you're using. You still want that containerization of logic. It's it's just a fundamental good practice. So we do that at the SQL level as well with packages and store procedures. And that allows us to have an architecture layered within the database. And all of the calls from Java to SQL are going through store procedures. We don't use an ORM. Uh, we do, we do, yes, we'll we'll do parameter mapping through reflection. But ORMs are notoriously difficult to scale and even harder to tune. The more complex your logic gets in the database, 
the harder it is to rein that performance out of an ORM. It's it's designed for logical, not physical. No, I think that's you know architecturally great great insight into kind of how you guys are able to achieve what you're doing. Maybe and maybe with that, I'll, I'll kind of give you a little bit of the last word. I don't mean to put you on the spot too much here, but um, so if somebody let's say somebody who's building their SaaS application today who might be listening to the podcast is looking for insights and advice for how they should think about architecting their solution. Um, it sounds like, at least from what I've heard, you, you'd recommend thinking about this sort of multi-cloud multi-cloud approach. Um, is there anything else that you might be able to share that would sort of um, you know, provide that kind of insight into what approach might, might work for, for different use cases or different scenarios? So I have a simple rule. Start with best practices, but sit down and ask yourself, why is it a best practice? Uh, under under what circumstances and criteria did this come about to be a best practice? And does that apply to me? And if I'm if I've got a different set of requirements, does that suggest an alternate approach that actually will work better because of the, the unique nature of my requirements? That that's where a lot of times folks get so hung up on best practices they forget. If you have a unique requirement, it may drive you to something that's not necessarily best practice, but is actually the best practice for your problem. And so, you know, if you're looking at multi-cloud, multi-cloud can be incredibly powerful. If there's something you can leverage in one cloud that's done better than anywhere else, and something you can leverage in the other cloud that's better than anywhere else, you're getting the best of both breeds. And that's that's exactly what you want to see out of multi-cloud. AWS, we're we're leveraging SCS, SMS, Lambda, you know, all these these wonderful little pieces that, that AWS has used to build out their ecosystem. OCI, we're using database. Oracle yeah. is fantastic at database. So, you know, that that would be kind of my high level advice is just understand why you're doing what you're doing. Oh yeah, absolutely it makes you know perfect sense. And I, you know, really appreciate the point of view. And, uh, you know, I think with that, we can kind of, uh, kind of wrap things up for the, for the podcast today. So I really appreciate you, Jonathan, uh, for, for joining me and, and having a great discussion about, you know, where you guys are headed and, and the types of things you're working on in, in cloud and data architectures. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, this has been, uh, another edition of the building better SaaS podcast. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to building better SaaS. You can find all our episodes on Apple Music and Spotify.